It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What Happens in the Woods is a true crime podcast. We discuss events that are often violent in nature. Listeners' discretion is advised. We also find that poisoners are very intelligent, uh, certainly more so than the typical, typical brute-like uh, clubbing of an individual as a sophistication of the, of the weapon's delivery. We find they're very artistic. By artistic, I don't mean they paint pretty pictures, but I mean that they can design almost something like a play. My wife is going to some kind of convulsion. What's Second that? Avenue South? Yes, 1111, 2nd Avenue South, number two. Has she ever had a, pro- a no, seizure she's before? No, she's never had a problem before. Never. How old is she? She's 29, 28. She called me from the other room, and she's now, she's, her mouth is foaming. Take a deep breath. You need to be calm for your wife, okay? Yes, I'm calm. Okay, does she use drugs or on any medication of any kind? She just took a Sudafed. What do we know about people who choose poison as their method for murder? Think back through every story you've ever been told, fairy tale you've read, or movie you've seen. Oftentimes, poison is portrayed as a woman's choice when taking a life. It's cunning, secretive, completely impersonal, or extremely passionate. A strong weapon for the so-called weaker sex. If done correctly, it can be hard to trace. If not done correctly, well, we all know how that story ends for those who are caught. But what if a man uses poison? There are examples of men who have done this throughout history. Usually they consider themselves intellectually above everyday Joe. In this episode, we're going to discuss one such man who used the 1982 Tylenol poisonings and its copycat Excedrin poisonings as examples of how to commit murder. This is True Crime Podcast, What Happens in the Woods, with your host, Justin Bryce. Let's get started. We're back for the continuation of the first episode of the season. And first off, uh, we have somebody to introduce. So we have a guest with us. My brother, Colin, is visiting from California. Hi. Hi. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're making him uh, take part and participate 
Well, I really appreciate it. It's fun to be here. Even though you don't listen to the podcast. And yes, I am calling you out. Okay, so I totally was on my 15-hour drive up here. (laughs) But then somebody was chopping up a body and I was like, "Mm, I gotta go. Yeah. Yeah, it's not for everybody. It's fine. I forgive you. It's fine. As long as you forgive me, big sister. Yes. I love how you threw that big sister in there. Thank you. Yes, I am the oldest. Um... (laughs) All right. And before we get too far into the episode, we have uh, something important to address. So there was some concern for Bryce's well-being after the last episode. Um, I want to confirm he is alive and well. He's here. Say hi. No. <laughs> He's fine. Um, there is no harm come to him after his shenanigans. And I, I guess we just should have explained better that I... I don't like surprises. I send help. Absolutely hate surprises. You're fine. <laughs> um, Bryce finds it a hysterical to irritate me. Yes. <laughs> so, That's what I was hired for. <laughs> whatever. Grammy uh, approved my position as annoying my, my wife. My grandmother never would have done that. She I, did. You lie. I can confirm this. Shut up. I don't need help. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, yes, I hate surprises and it usually, um, usually his surprises are sweet and very thoughtful (laughs) and this one wasn't no, um, it was, no, it was, it was, um, so (laughs) this is just, this is just me being bitchy. I'm, I cannot help it. And I apologize. Uh, there's no reason for it. I, I always appreciate what you do. I just, I have trouble getting to that point. It's kind of painful. So we're good. It's fine. Go to sleep, crazy lady. Okay. <laughs> um, so let's chat about that NBA card. Uh, a few people on social media said they knew what the story was with it. Uh, can you Surpri- finally release surprisingly that Surprisingly, a lot of people know what is on that card. Like even uh, we had our friends uh, uh, come up last weekend, Brian and Aaron and, and fam, uh, and he posted it on social media, and a lot of people knew. He yeah, cheated. Feel, My brother stupid. knew what it was. It, it's cheating, though. I I felt stupid. So I know Colin's looking at us like, I don't know what the hell you guys are talking about. <laughs> I mean, okay, so someone did show me. I don't remember if it was Mara or Olivia, but someone showed me, and I was like, who is that? Uh, 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 yeah. No, I had no idea. No, it wasn't more who the player was, but what was in the background. Right. Yeah. The yeah, he didn't. Menendez. If people don't remember <laughs> the Mark Jackson card, the Menendez brothers were on that card. And of course, everyone knows that they were famous in California for killing their parents. Right. And they did get convicted of it and they were sent to prison. Yeah. Life in prison. Um, yeah. I, I felt kind of stupid because... Uh, literally as soon as we stopped recording the last episode, I pick up the card and I'm looking at it and I'm just trying to scrutinize it and learn its secrets. And <laughs> if I had not been so irritated by this surprise, I would have recognized <laughs> there yeah. they were um, sitting in courtside right behind this player, you know, living life to the fullest. So I, that's a really good find, honey. I didn't know about that. Um, that case probably is right up there with like John Benet Ramsey for me, as far as what had really spiked my interest in, yeah. in true crime. So good, good find there. Did you did great. Did yes. you hear that? 
Yes. Yes, there's witnesses. I said, good job. Yes. <laughs> Just, I don't like surprises, so don't do that. Okay. I can't promise there won't be any more. There's always going to be a surprise. That's just the nature of, of how you roll. So yes. And, and my part in that is to be irritated initially. Jessica, you've been irritated since birth. Probably. Yeah. My mother can confirm that. (laughs) I can confirm that. I just want y'all to know. I'm yeah. I'm bitchy. It's fine. But we still love you. Oh, thanks. Um, big, Big giveaway announcement as well. So stay tuned to the end of the episode when we announce the winner. Um, we were we're ready to go on that, but hold hold on. They told go. me I could be Vanna White. So. Yes, Colin gets to be Vanna White. Yeah. All right. So as I mentioned in our last episode, oh, I, I guess I should ask any updates, Bryce. No. Okay. <laughs> I did the card. We'll be on yeah. Discord. Okay. After the episode, eight o'clock. Okay. September eighteenth, eight p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Yes. Okay. That's all you got. Yes. Okay. All right. All right. So, this is going to be part two of what we discussed in our last episode. Um, we were discussing a copycat to the nineteen eighty-two Tylenol murders. The first copycat was Stella Nichol from Auburn, Washington. This lovely woman was convicted of murdering her husband, Bruce Nichol, and a completely random stranger, Sue Snow, by cyanide-laced extra strength, etc. If you missed that story, go back, listen to it. We'll link it in the description as well. But let's go further back and go over the original crime that started this all before we get into the second copycat. All right. Okay. So I mentioned the 1982 murders briefly. There's kind of a little bit of more information. So the breakdown uh, that led to the events of seven deaths in Chicago is what we're kind of going to go over. The first deaths were reported on September 29th, 1982. No one had a clue what had caused them at the time. It's, Really sad because the first victim was a 12-year-old young lady. Yeah. Really? Really sad. Yeah. Um, Then the next series of victims, three of them were family members that took pills from the same bottle. So gentleman passed away, his brother and sister-in-law. Of course, when the gentleman passed away, they didn't know from what. Mm-hmm. Gentleman, uh, his brother and sister-in-law took pills from the same bottle that he did and passed away as well. So, so that family grieved for three people. So all there's three people that took it and three people died. Yes. Jesus. Did they test the bottle? Was the whole bottle bad? Um, or? Yeah. So this person didn't leave like an error of, of margin for anybody to not take it. So no algae destroyer. Uh, no, it was not algae destroyer. So that, yeah. So that's the first four victims. And after that, um, it there was three more victims before they figured out that it was from Tylenol. And that the, it, they were laced with cyanide. It was confirmed um, eventually all seven of those victims had taken the extra strength Tylenol prior to the deaths. Tests on the pills would confirm that the deaths were uh, caused by cyanide, again, over the amount of a lethal dose. There was just no mistaking that whoever did this wanted to kill people, didn't care how many. So it wasn't gel caps or it wasn't caplet. 
capsules. They were pills. It was the capsules. Oh, the capsules. Yeah, it was the okay. pull apart capsules. So they just pulled that shit apart. Right. So you you just I mean you could twist them apart. It's super easy. Yeah. Yeah. You just would twist them apart, kind of, and then you would grind up cyanide, mix it with the medication, pour it right back down into the capsule, twist it back on, and close the bottle like nothing happened. Because at those days there was no, um, you know, the the seal on top. There wasn't any um, plastic, plastic any coating, yeah. anything. It was just. I mean, I think they had just barely gotten the, um, you know, childproof lids yeah. out. Wow. Even that wasn't common. Um, but there was no, nothing stopping these people from tampering with it. There was just nothing stopping anybody from fucking with this shit. What a psychopath. Right. I mean, really. So the deaths cost Johnson & Johnson, the maker of Tylenol, millions of dollars to recall. They did a nationwide recall to get the products off the shelf. They're actually credited with acting quickly and responsibly in the interest of the public and not their own, which in any day and age for a large corporation business to, to say, it doesn't matter what it costs us. We're going to get all these pills back and we, we don't want any more deaths and we're going to figure this out. It's kind of incredible, honestly. Um, So, I mean, good for them. And all of that was great. They they still had no idea who had done this, for what purpose. There um, were several attempts to find the responsible party, and there were a few theories on who it was. One that I read stated it could have been a disgruntled Johnson & Johnson employee, um, although the production plants were cleared of any possible contamination. So it definitely was not um, somebody at the plant doing this or any chance of you know, accidental exposure to the Tylenol. Yeah. Um, another odd theory was that it was the work of the Unabomber, Ted uh, Kaczynski. Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> so authorities actually asked him for a DNA sample in 2011. So, yeah. I, you know, 20 years, 30, 30 years. I can't find anywhere if that led them to a resolution. There's still no, nobody's been caught for this and they haven't accredited to to him he denied ever having possessed cyanide so after him there are also three suspects who were investigated eventually they got cleared of the tampering as well the strongest suspect of the crimes was james william lewis who actually ended up in the weird twist he was convicted of extortion he sent a letter to johnson and johnson claiming that if they paid him a million dollars that the killings would stop oh so you would think if he's the person writing that letter, extorting money, that he's responsible, they could not link him to the crimes. So he just thought he was going to get rich off of it. Oh, I yeah. Bet, I bet you that he was the cover. He might have been. Oh. I. It's just a really weird. He he and his wife weren't living in the Chicago area at that time, so it just kind of got ruled out that he wasn't really a suspect or even near there. Did they, they say they were in New York? Lived? Oh, yeah. They lived it's in New York. It's not exactly close, no. But I, you know, no, somebody could a, do it. It's like a two-hour plane ride. Somebody, he could have been traveling, though, and I mean, and yeah. done that. So, I, so it, it wouldn't necessarily need to be somebody who lived in the area, you know? All you got to do is place these on different store shelves and wait for somebody to pick that one, and it all comes out, you know? Yeah. So they didn't have enough evidence to connect him to the crime. Uh, they traced his fingerprints to, you know, the letter sent 
but couldn't link him to the poisonings. Um, a Boston news outlet claims that the department of Justin concluded Lewis was responsible for the poisonings, despite the fact that they didn't have enough evidence to charge him. He served time for the extortion charges, and he also gave the FBI a DNA sample. Again, I don't, I don't know. It didn't amount to anything because he wasn't charged with that crime. He later claimed that he was not responsible for the killings. And like I said, to this day, just nobody's been charged. We may never know what happened. It's so many years removed now. Yeah. How do you go back and, and well, trace Well, they that? must have DNA evidence. They must have if they asked for yeah. his. Or they asked for the <laughs> Ted Kaczynski's. And t- Ted Kaczynski's. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's crazy. So. Well, I'm hopeful because of all that DNA advancement, especially with the yeah. Golden State Killer. I'm, I'm very hopeful that they'll catch someone. Yeah. You never know. It, it could happen. Yeah. So all in all, 31 million bottles were recalled of Tylenol. That's a lot for, you know, 1980s. That's a lot. Um, A total of eight contaminated bottles were found. And just as Stella Nichol had done in 1986, it's presumed the killer purchased bottles of Tylenol and then added the cyanide to them, replaced the bottles to store shelves, and just anybody picked them up. It was... The start of laws in legislature that would require tamper-proof packaging for over-the-counter medication, it also made tampering a federal crime. And as we know, Stella Nickel was the first person to be convicted of those types of charges. Yeah. So now both the 1982 deaths and Bruce and Sue deaths are, um, you know, we've talked about both of those. They caused millions of dollars worth of loss for the makers of Tylenol and Excedrin. And you can imagine it was talked about for a long time, oh, yeah. something like that. Yeah. So much so that in early 1991, Reader's Digest, good old Reader's Digest, <laughs> came out with an article that talked about how Stella Nichol was caught about Sue and Bruce's deaths and it was also a great outline for someone who wanted to take notes on how to plan a poisoning murder. And 29-year-old Joseph Melling was paying close attention. God damn it. Reader's Digest. Damn you, Reader's Digest. <laughs> Fuck the anarchist cookbook. Just read Reader's Digest. I mean, honestly. <laughs> so now we know about Tylenol in 1982. We know about Excedrin in 1986. Let's learn about the Sudafed poisonings of 91 and the man convicted of them, Joseph Mailing, and his wife, Jennifer, from Tumwater, Washington. All right. So Joseph and Jennifer were married a few years before this happened. When we get to 1991, from all accounts, it was not a fucking happy relationship. Um, There were a few indications that Joseph may have been an abusive husband. Basically, he was unhappy and he wasn't going to let Jennifer be happy. They fought all the time about, you know, the usual things, money, spending, jobs, lifestyle, just about everything that a normal married couple would argue about. It it happens. Yeah. Um, In fact, so December 1990, just weeks before the poisonings happened, Jennifer actually called the police because she was afraid that Joseph was going to hurt her. And when officers arrived, she claimed that Joseph had held her arms behind her back and tried to push her face into the kitchen cabinet. And she was afraid because he was being very aggressive, um, very aggressive. He apparently told officers that she was just a distraught woman, quote unquote, and not to pay her any attention, which 
really pisses me off because the fact that you have the balls to speak for your wife who's called the police should have been indication number one that you're a dick. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And indication number two that you probably did what she accused you of doing. Yeah. Cause now you won't let her speak. There again, 1991. I, I don't I don't know about up here, but I know, you know, where I was in California at that time. Domestic abuse was still, you know, kind of pushed to the yeah. side. Like yeah, it was it behind just, closed doors. Right. Nobody talked about it. Right. I mean, the police would show up, obviously. If there was clear indication, they would take somebody with them. But it usually didn't get resolved. No. Yeah. So Jennifer ends up not pressing charges. Um, She ends up saying she didn't believe that she was assaulted. So go ahead and and I'm fine. Go ahead and go. I absolutely believe that she was intimidated. And he probably made her feel like the situation was her fault. Mm-hmm. And she didn't want to occur any more wrath is yeah. probably what happened uh, as per usual in cases like that. So there's a pattern here that we've talked about in other cases. Uh, Joseph had habits of spending large amounts of money on expensive hobbies, uh, computers, photography equipment, stage makeup, and the good old favorite up here, strippers, strip clubs. Oh. Yeah. Loved him some strip clubs. Jennifer worked as many as three jobs at a time in order to support his habits. Not that sound familiar in any way. No. You're talking about what do you mean that doesn't sound familiar? We just are, are like one of our cases in the first season. Which one was that? Susan Powell. Oh yeah. Oh my Jesus Lord! Do you even pay attention? Yeah. <laughs> Susan. Susan Powell uh, was our third episode. Oh, maybe I did watch that one. Um, <gasps> no, I think I started and I stopped because. Because what? She disappeared. There's no violence. Yeah, there's no violence. I think it. I think it made me depressed. Oh, okay. That was a rough uh, yeah. Time. It's it's depressing because he ends up. Yeah. Oh. They don't find her. As They've Celine, not found her. As Celine Dion would say, it's all coming back to me now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, but he, Josh Powell was very abusive and it really reminded me of that case. Yeah. That case. Yeah. So let's jump to the events that kicked off another nationwide panic and recall of millions of over the counter pills. Uh, what you heard at the beginning of the show was a 911 call that Joseph Mailing made just after his wife had collapsed at their home the night of February 2nd, 1991. They had been getting ready for bed, going through their just nightly routine. And Joseph tells Jennifer that she needs to take a Sudafed to help her stuffy nose because God damn it, her snoring keeps him up and he needs some fucking sleep. So go take the pill and I'm going to bed. Why She's the one that works three jobs. Right. I was like, bitch, you need to go sleep on the couch, like, or, or you need to get earbuds or something, something to plug. plug. Yeah. Yes. Use your wife's money to go fix your problem. <laughs> right. Um, it, it's just typical of somebody who's in a, a aggressive relationship where, you know, it's, she's snoring. Maybe she's extra tired. Maybe she's sick. Maybe she needs medical attention, but it's affecting your sleep. So God damn it. She better do something about it. Just kind of a dick move, but I maybe he was trying to be helpful. I I doubt it. 
So she kind of plays him off at first and then he just, he won't let it go. So she goes and takes this stupid Sudafed. It's a capsule. By this time, like tamper proof packaging had somewhat evolved, but it's, it was still capsules, but they were in those sheets. They're called blister packs where you push the pill through the back of the like tin lining. Mm -hmm. Um, It was some sort of tamper proof, but it wasn't a hundred percent foolproof. I just, there is no a hundred percent foolproof, honestly, except now there are no capsules. They don't sell those over the counter at all in any case. So she takes the stupid capsule by this time, the, so the type of Sudafed that she took looked like, you know, the regular pill. She had no indication that it was different. So she takes it. After she collapses, it's just minutes after she collapses, Mayling calls 911 and the EMTs get to her pretty quickly. They rush her to the hospital for what they're thinking is possible, a diabetic ketoacidosis. Mm-hmm. But their efforts are not helping her. Her condition is just getting worse and worse as they're trying to work on her. And what is interesting is during the trial of all this, the doctors treating Jennifer come and testify, of course, they claim that Joseph spoke up and asked, could it be something toxic? And when the doctors still don't pinpoint an answer, he offers to him, to, to the doctor, maybe it's cyanide. It's a weird thing to mention. Yeah, I'm sorry, but like, what a dumbass. Why would you... There's a reason why he did that. Uh, So the doctor orders Jennifer's stomach to be pumped in a last ditch effort, basically. Can't think of anything else. So they're like, okay, well, let's pump her stomach. Let's whatever it is. Let's get it out of her. So while Jennifer is in critical condition, when they realize it's cyanide poisoning and they can treat it, they actually save her life. Oh, I didn't even know that was reversible. She doesn't die. So because they pumped her stomach and got it out of her system, she lives. She She does go into a coma for a couple of days, which I mean is serious. There there are lasting effects to this, but she's not dead. So where exactly does the murder come into play? And what is the motive behind them? Well, I'm going to tell you after this break. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So when doctors save Jennifer Mailing's life, her husband knows that he has to get smart. He knows he's going to be a suspect. And I mean, it's, uh, let's just be honest. It's always the husband, right? If, if it's not the wife, yeah. <laughs> it's the husband. <What>? So <laughs> sorry, sorry to tell you, honey, there is no butler. Okay. Right. I'm going to hire one. Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to argue with you. As long as I cook and clean, I'm good. All right. So Jennifer's not dead. Uh, In fact, doctors predict a full recovery eventually when she awakens from the coma. While she is in the coma, Joseph calls in her family and authorities that have been questioning him. He claims he knows he's going to be the prime suspect. And he claims there won't be any proof. There's no motive. And 
he knows this for sure because her life insurance policy doesn't include a payout for accidental death. And he should know this because he works for Prudential, which is the life insurance company that her policy is through. Oh, so he does work. He works for the insurance company. Oh, right. He has one job. It just. Right. His wife works 17 jobs. Right. (laughs) Yeah. So he claims he's going to be just as much of an injured party in all this as Jennifer is. And poor him, because all this blame is going to come his way. And it just is it, so unfounded. You can't see it, but I, I rolled my eyes. <laughs> so now he has to back this up somehow. And we know with Stella Nichol, she chose to throw authorities off of her trail by adding more deaths to the tally. Yeah. Doesn't matter who dies, as long as somebody dies and they can say it's from accidental cyanide poisoning. So unfortunately, that is exactly what happens. The first death is that of 40-year-old Kathleen Daniker of Tacoma. She passed away on February 11th, 1991. The second is 44-year-old Stanley McWhorter on the 18th. And he was from Lacey, Washington. So both were found to have been poisoned by cyanide. Eventually, it's learned that both had taken 12-hour Sudafed prior to their deaths. What is incredibly sad is that most of the research that I found, they're like those two victims are only mentioned in passing. Yeah. Um, There's like no more than a paragraph in articles. And I read newspaper articles from that time. I read other articles online. I read other stories. I watched a couple of like short documentary things barely mentioned. And this is the part, this is the aspect of true crime that I think drives me the most insane is that the criminal gets the voice. Yeah. The victims don't always get a voice and their families are not always you know, they don't always want to be portrayed or have that information out there. Yeah. Sometimes they're not asked. And, you know, the true crime shows, podcasts, people will take that information, talk about the victims, but not actually go into the victims' lives or, you know, give any any clear information about them. About them, yeah. That's why I always have a hard time watching those 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 documentaries <laughs> because a lot of them almost like like fantasize or like um, put these these killers on a platform and it frankly it just makes me uncomfortable. Yeah, it's like romanticizing yeah crime and I that's exactly why I won't talk about Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy is like probably the most well known person from Washington. I will not give him any more than he's already you know limelight than he's already gotten. He is dead and gone and paid for his crimes. We should not be romanticizing him in any way. And I was really, uh, when the documentary that came out at the beginning of this year about him, it wasn't about him necessarily. It was about the victims and how their families and friends, you know, went on with their lives and about how those victims, um, you know, what their contributions could have been to the world. But because of him, it was cut short also talked about how his longtime girlfriend and her daughter were affected, which sometimes she gets talked about more in things that I've seen and and read um, and watched. But it just, to me, you don't romanticize this guy. It's sick. 
It's sickening. I mean, didn't they have a movie with Zac Efron playing him or something? Right. Like, okay, why would you have Zac Efron play him? Yeah. I just, like, that's fine and all dandy and stuff, but why, why are you giving these horrible people a platform? Right. It just, it, mm, mm, mm mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it definitely is. um, It's sad. So I wanted to find out some more information about the victims. What I finally was able to find out was on a show called Motives and Murders. I greatly appreciated that they were able to speak to the victims families and also Jennifer and they gave a little bit of background into the victims lives. So Kathleen was a mom of three teenage boys. She was very active in her church. She was well loved by family and friends. She passed away just one day after her and her husband had renewed their wedding vows, their marriage vows. They had been separated for a year and were celebrating coming back together and renewed their vows. And the next morning she woke up, not feeling the best, took a Sudafed, and she was found by her husband collapsed on the bathroom floor. Um, Of course, they tried to rush her to the hospital, but by that time she was comatose. And by the next day she was gone. And it's devastating. It's it's absolutely devastating that, you know, her, her life was finally coming together and this asshole decided to go out and play God yeah. and, and ruin that. When her routine labs came back after, uh, like a few days after her death, the medical examiner recognized the signs that something, something was odd with her like labs that came back. Um, He had studied the Excedrin deaths in 1986 and was able to put two and two together. And he knew that testing for cyanide was needed because it is not a routine test. Mm. So when they do autopsies, when they do. um, So it's not something that, yeah, they would just do. mm -mm. Oh, no, it's not an extra test. It's an extra test and it's an easy test. I don't know if that has changed recently, but I know during this time period of of between the 80s and 90s, all of these deaths, not a routine thing that happens after somebody passes away mysteriously. Yeah, I would just hope that now, like a mysterious death, they're like, okay, well, let's cover the bases. I mean, yeah, kind of, especially if there are some, I mean, there's some signs that are pretty easy to tell. Obviously, this this medical examiner was, was able to get, um, you know, see that in her lab work that came back. So after he saw that they tested for cyanide and it was absolutely positive. So authorities gathered all of the meds in her house and started testing them. They don't find a trace of poison in them at all. And they think for a second, okay, it's, this is not right then. Yeah. What they did find, and they were lucky to have found this, is that the code number that is listed on the blister pack does not match the code number that's listed on the cardboard box of the medication. Oh. Which is indicative that somebody has pulled out. Right. Somebody has pulled out the blister pack that matched that box, and it's someplace else. So with that info, they start looking into other cases and realize that Jennifer Mailing had been poisoned with cyanide and that she had also taken Sudafed just before being brought to the hospital. Her blister pack of Sudafed is also um, looked at and tested. They realize that it has the same number code on it that doesn't match her box, but the code matches Kathleen's 
code. Oh. So uh-oh. the two blister packs have the same code. Yeah. Meaning that they came from a 20 pack and were put into 10 pack boxes. Well. Right. Hmm. So it was two sheets of the blister packaging that were separated and put into two separate boxes. Okay. So they, from that information, they're like, well, this is one person. Yeah. One person accessed both of these and yeah. put them in separate boxes. So from there, the FDA is called in. Uh, David Kessler, who had been in his first week on the job as the new FDA commissioner at that time, got a call uh, late one Saturday in March. He's filled in on the poisonings in Washington. And immediately he, I mean, he's like, we have to recall. We have to. So they were able to catch the 10 p.m. news that night and started blasting the recall info everywhere. And that is how the wife of Stanley McHorter, the third victim in all of this, is tied to this case. So just two weeks after his death, his wife got a call from a family friend saying, hey, turn on the news. There's some shit about the Sudafed like recall on there and check, check the bottles. box. Yeah. And when she's you know watching this, her heart just sank because she knows that he took a Sudafed, Stanley did, right before he passed away. So she calls the medical examiner's office. They confirm that the code from the pack matches the code on the recall. From there, they're able to confirm with tests that uh, the father of two and Vietnam vet was killed by cyanide poisoning. So again, he God, that, didn't so he know. He survived Vietnam, but right. then succumbed to poisoning. Right. I mean, it was without me recall, they would have missed that. They would have missed that. Wow. Yeah, without her paying attention, essentially. And yeah, without the recall, if they hadn't been able to put the other clues together for the first two, they wouldn't have known about him. So from there, we go to the recall starts in Washington State. And then it, it ends up going nationwide. Over a million boxes are recalled. A total of six would be found to have been tampered with, all only found in Washington. So definitely not a case of it being something at the manufacturers. It's definitely tampering. One of those boxes, of course, we know the three made it to the victims. One of those boxes was still on a store shelf. So anybody could have picked it up. Uh, Two were turned in by customers who had purchased them. One lady opened hers up and realized that one uh, of the tablets looked just a little bit different than the other ones. So she returned it. Can you imagine if she hadn't been paying attention I mean, that was going to be my question is like, how did these people not recognize, realize that like, so these were tampered with? Cause like, right. you can't just replace foil like that, can you? No. So what he had done is he had taken a razor blade and cut around the edge just slightly so that he could get the pill out and then very carefully was able to smooth that out so that it looked like it was still intact. Very methodical, very carefully. That's how this was able to get done. Wow. Right. But if you're not paying attention, it's easy enough to just, you know, you're not feeling good. Pull out a pack. You you push it through. Most of the time, you don't look at the back. You just look at the front and you push the pill through into your hand. Yeah. Now I'm going to check everything. Damn it. Well, nowadays, though, most of them have gone to that where you have to separate the section that has the pill in it and you have to actually forcefully peel back yeah the you can't just push through yeah 
most of those, I don't know that they still don't make the just the foil backed blister packs, but I know that most of them you have to peel like that little section off. I mean, one time I got like the uh, anti-traveling like yeah. nausea stuff and it didn't have all that. It was just the foil bag. Oh, yeah. So I it guess. Could. Yeah, but was it a capsule or was it just a pill? Oh, I think it was just a pill. Yeah. So if it's a pill, there's, I mean, there's really no way yeah. you'd have to dip yeah. it in something for, for you to change the, you know, to add a, a chemical to it. Yeah. You'd have to dip it in something, which would probably leave a trace Oh, you know yeah. what I mean? Look different. Look yeah. different enough that you'd be like, what the fuck is this? So yeah, so she was lucky enough she didn't take any. The other person that turned hers in actually took six out of the 10 pills <gasps> and she had not made it to the one that was oh. tampered with. Oh, shit. Yeah, so she, I mean, very lucky, very lucky to have not taken that. If she had started, because uh, he had messed with the upper left of each pack, if she hadn't started on the, the opposite, opposite side. It, she would have been fucked oh yeah. the first or second time that she took, took those pills. So now that they have confirmed product tampering with all this, the FBI is called in because this is now a federal crime due to, you know, thanks to good old Stella nickel. So let's go back to Jennifer mailing. When she leaves the hospital, she doesn't go right home with her husband to recover. She actually goes to her parents' house in Vancouver to recover. Smart. Right. It's also kind of strange because why wouldn't you go home to your husband, your home, and recover, right? Authorities kind of think it's odd. She uh, actually files for divorce from Joseph. At one point, Joseph is taken involuntarily to a mental health hospital in Olympia after a few employees at his work find notes where he threatened to kill himself. Oh. All throughout this, he's pretty much the main suspect that I'm sure didn't help, you know, threatening to kill yourself. The FBI questioned Joseph a few times. They searched the couple's house. They don't find a whole lot. Um, they're able to get approval to bug the phone in the residence. Yeah. But Joseph suspects that they've done that and he gives up no info. He even like his ego is so large. At one point they start saying shit. He starts like, well, you know, if the FBI have, have bugged me, they're going to want this information. Like he starts egging them on. So they don't get anything from that. He uh, is overheard threatening his wife and family not to cooperate with the feds. And at one point he claims to Jennifer that she is essentially, if she gives information, she quote unquote is sleeping with the enemy, meaning the feds. Yeah. So he's pretty much effectively threatened everybody. Don't fucking talk. Don't, you know, talk out of, out of turn. Dead feds are, are listening and we know they're listening. So shut your fucking mouths. And I mean, essentially, so there's just nothing concrete and yeah. they, but they know that, I mean, they really feel like it's, it's him. And then in a surprise twist, Jennifer in the fall of 1991, she uh, cancels the divorce and oh. she goes back to him. Ew. Right. Uh, she moves back in. She just doesn't want to believe that he could have anything to do with this. And she stands by him. Oh, okay. So finally, there's a lead where Joseph's uncle comes forward with info that he had had multiple conversations with Joseph in regards to him wanting to get rid of his wife. 
Soon after that, authorities overhear a conversation in March of 1992 that they were able to catch because when the order for the phone being tapped ran out, then feds were actually able to extend it to bugging the house. Yeah. Oh. And partly in due because of his uncle. So they said, okay, he knows obviously about the taps. His uncle's come forward, said there's, there's evidence that we need to get. So let's try to tap the house and a judge approves it. So they get a tap in the house. They get a bug in the house. Um, his, it ends up being like the best clue. He is in a conversation with his dad. I guess his dad had come over and he says he's worried that FBI agents are going to find out that he quote unquote accidentally wandered into a store in Kent, Washington where cyanide is sold. How do you, how do you fucking accidentally? <laughs> yeah. Right. Whoops. I stumbled. <laughs> right. Oh, I'm so lost. I had no idea this was a chemical company. Let me just head up the chemical right. store. Right. The, like the only one in Kent. It's fine. Uh, he claims he's worried because there's going to be fingerprints that will connect him there. I, okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're touching shit. And so, so does a receipt. Right. <laughs> so from there, it's kind of all downhill for him. It's easy enough for the FBI to find that store in Kent. It's called Emerald city chemical co. Um, you know, you just, you can't go down to like your local Seven Eleven and be like, Hey, I need a pound of cyanide, yeah. you know, right. hand it over. Right. There's only certain few pe- uh, places where this is sold in anywhere, let alone in Seattle. I think there's only two. He is positively ID'd by an employee there that he absolutely was there back in January on the 11th in 1991. The name he signed, however, was not his own, but the FBI gets him to come in, give them handwriting samples, and it matches the ledger of the person that oh. bought the cyanide. Okay. So they confirm that that is his handwriting. Yeah. What he had done, and it was a, a dead giveaway, was they asked him to write the date, like 1-11-91. He wrote 19 instead of 91. He did that in the ledger as well. Oops. Right. Oh. So somebody doesn't know how to write the fucking date, first of all. (laughs) If you're going to be smart enough to try to do this shit, you should know how to write the year on the date, but that's okay. Um, So he fucked up and they were able to say, I mean, without a doubt, if you did that on the ledger and you did that on your handwriting sample, obviously it's you. Yeah. That doesn't happen a lot. So they were able to confirm that he purchased a, a pound of cyanide that day, a fucking pound. Yeah. It takes just, I mean, milligrams to kill somebody. So, he had a whole ass pound. So effectively he could have killed. <laughs> Thousands of people, Thousands. I think. Yeah. Wow. I mean, at least hundreds. Wow. Yeah. So on August 23rd, 1992, Joseph Mailing is arrested at his home by federal agents, and the next day he was indicted. They were not fucking around. Um, he is indicted on multiple charges, including product tampering, as well as charges of insurance fraud. So apparently, back in 1989, he had filed a false claim with his employer. Oh, Jesus. For a burglary that took place in their home that never happened. And when they did one of their searches, the FBI found some of the items that have been listed on that claim as yeah. being stolen in the house oh my f- in 1993. Right. 
Right. So that's a federal crime. This guy was a dumbass. He really was. That's the thing. (laughs) For people being as smart as they think they are, you do stupid things. You do stupid things. Criminal mastermind. Right. Listen to a true crime podcast before (laughs) murdering anybody. Yeah. Just find, figure out all the ways where you're going to get caught, essentially, if you're going to try it. I'm not endorsing crime, by the way. We don't endorse crime. Me neither. But don't be fucking (laughs) stupid either. So, yes. So he was uh, indicted on some of those charges as well. Um, Another piece of evidence that was found and probably one of the most damning is that he was he was just this artistic person he was writing a play about the character whose name is james martin so joseph mailing james martin jm yeah poisons his wife <laughs> how the fuck are you gonna like chronicle your escapade of poisoning your wife and try to sell it as a screenplay like, genius kinda, fucking genius right I just thought that was that was hilarious. So on the same day that Joseph is indicted by a federal judge, the families of Kathleen uh, Daniker and Stanley McWhorter settled a lawsuit with Sudafed out of court. So they had sued saying that the recall should have happened sooner and they waited too long as soon as they knew that Jennifer Mailing was poisoned, they should have recalled. The company stated that they were told that it was an isolated incident, that Jennifer's was an isolated incident. And so they didn't feel that there was enough evidence for a recall. So they settled that matter out of court. It's sealed there. There's no public record. So nobody knows. Yeah. Nobody knows what that amounted to. Oddly enough, neither Jennifer nor Joseph tried to take part in that lawsuit. So I, I kind of find that uh, just kind of a, a sign. Yeah. But yeah. Oh, yeah. She didn't want to believe that he had done it. He obviously knew he had done it. They they had no business being a part of that lawsuit. So, yeah. But it also fits her pattern when she went back to him, you know, right. like, along with the domestic dispute. Oh, he didn't do anything. Right. I, I think I was just overplaying it. But I think... Right. You know, her going to her parents just fits fits the pattern of her, you know, uh, just this cycle. Yeah. It's, it's sad. But. No, it is sad. So in the early part of April 1993, after a few days of deliberation, a jury found Joseph Mailing guilty on all charges. Um, that was 11 total charges. He was sentenced to life in prison. Jennifer at that time actually tested on his behalf, um, but her testimony I read a lot of of, uh, news articles. Her testimony was considered that of like a broken and abused woman. And she was just, you know, had been molded to fit his narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Like I said, it fits that pattern for her because she's just in that cycle. Right. And it's, it's really sad. I, I mean, my heart goes out to her. You don't want to think your husband's going to kill you. Yeah. (laughs) Who wants to think that? Yeah. Yeah. Don't think that honey. I, Try it. Try me. <laughs> God. Bryce, I would be more scared of her. <laughs> All I had to say, and I've said it on previous podcasts, check her Google search history, please. Okay. Okay. okay but that's not going to tell anything because I research all of this shit. Um, Are you writing a play? <laughs> <laughs> You'll be the first to know, honey. Okay. Yeah. If I ever write a play. So Jennifer herself claimed that she was testifying because, quote, I hope my husband is innocent and that I married the right man, end quote. 
that is so sad to me. It is. That's that's heartbreaking. Know. Yeah. I mean, I hope that my husband is innocent. You can't even say my husband's innocent and I know it. <laughs> yeah. You hope. hope that he's innocent because who wants to think that the person that you love is trying to hurt you? Yeah. Nobody. Nobody wants to think that. So a close friend and also his boss at Prudential were quoted by the media as claiming that they felt Joseph was innocent and it, it just wasn't possible that he was a murderer. On another note, there were a few of the strippers who regularly saw him Jesus. at the strip clubs <laughs> that took the stand and they actually testified against him. Oh, thank oh. God. Right. Thank God for the strippers. Right. I'm just saying he maintains his innocence to this day. I don't know. Like, what would they testify? Um, Just that, you know, he would show up and have hundreds of dollars oh, okay. with oh. him to uh, not necessarily uh, about anything, but there were also conversations that he had with them about how much he hated his wife and his wife was a nag and he, you know, just didn't, didn't want to be with her anymore. And, um, you know, defamation of character, essentially they oh, okay. could, they could provide kind I, of a narrative yeah, background. I was like, yeah, he told me the whole plot. Right. Like, well, fuck, case no. solved. I mean, let's just make sure, guys, you know, piece of advice when you get with a stripper, don't do pillow talk. Right. You and don't, then, th- th- you don't have a life. No. Your, your life is right there, right yeah. then with that stripper. There is no outside involvement of anybody. But also thank you to all the strippers. Yes. You guys do God's work. <laughs> <laughs> I I I don't know about that, but I mean, you're uh, y- yes. <laughs> no, I I no, I sex workers and you know people that do that. It's it's an industry that gets a lot of shit, and it also is an industry that is made up of propaganda. I don't know. We that's a whole another podcast. Oh, I, yeah. I yeah, I feel for those people. I, it's not just women; it's it's men and women that do that. They get overlooked. They get shoved to the side. You know, they're they're not treated as people, especially when crimes happen. Mm-hmm. Sex workers are disposable in the eyes of a lot of people, and it's they're just not treated as people, and it's it's a really sad fact. I bet yeah. you there's there's at least like three strippers in DC right now with big juicy secrets. Oh, for so sure. Trust your strippers, everyone. Right. Don't tell your strippers anything that you don't want to come out because it will come out. Well, it's cheaper than a psychologist. Is it though? Is it? <laughs> I don't know about that. Come on, some the good ones charge what a hundred bucks an hour. Yeah, but that's the thing. Like a psychologist, as long as you don't threaten them with harm, they're going to keep your secret. A stripper, at no loyalty. Why would why? Because you if if you're going to pay me a hundred dollars, this guy over here is going to pay me a hundred dollars. Who the fuck do I have to be loyal to? Yeah, somebody's going to pay. It's just cheaper. I don't think it's cheaper, honey. <laughs> I, I really don't. So to this day, like I said, he maintains his innocence. He tried to file appeals to that effect. I will add that eventually Jennifer is like, yeah, I'm done with you. She filed for the d- divorce and thank, it was finalized. Thank the Lord. I know. Um, it took a little while, but she, she's been able to get her life back on track. Um, she stated in an interview that she doesn't want to be labeled as a victim um, because she was able to overcome the horrible events that almost took her life. So she doesn't want to be part of, you know, considered a victim from this story. Yeah. I, I do believe that she is a victim though. Oh, I, oh, yes. oh, I, yeah. I applaud her for not wanting to be labeled as such. And by, you know, maintaining that she's 
you know, happy with her life. Her life is, is on track and she's good and that she was able to put him in the past and the event in the past. Obviously, the people's lives that he took is just that step further. That's what happened to her was horrible. That is just that next step further. That yeah. is uh, incredibly horrific to have happened. And she doesn't see herself in the same category with them. So I, I do understand what where she's coming from, why she would say that. You're absolutely a victim, though, honey. I, I don't I know that you don't want to play the victim. But there's a difference between playing the victim and actually being, being a victim. A victim yeah. Yeah. And I I applaud you for getting, you know, your everything back on track for yourself and we send um, your, we send our love. Yes, we definitely send our love. If you listen to this. <laughs> I, I doubt it, but okay. You never know. You never know. Um one of the oddest things that I have ever heard throughout this entire fucking thing, and I feel like at this point we've been through a, a telenovela. <laughs> yeah. So in 1997, a convicted man named Monty Lee Bridges came forward while serving time at the same prison that Joseph was at, and he confessed to doing this crime, this product tampering. What? Right. He come came forward, said that he had written down his confession, put it in a water bottle, and then buried it. Then he got convicted of some other crime. The problem with this is this man was mentally unstable. He had been not necessarily sharing a room with Joseph, but they were on the same block in yeah. the prison. Um, so they did have interaction. And he, again, said he that he had written down his confession and, and buried it. When they pulled up, they authorities eventually found it, went on like this wild goose tra- chase to find this <laughs> bottle. Jesus Christ. Right. They found a bottle that had been buried that had a confession in it. Couldn't tell that it was his handwriting. It did not look like it had been buried for three years. Oh, it looked like it was. There was no like mildew. There was no uh, moisture. There was, you know, it was intact. Everything was intact. Yeah. So it looked like it was freshly put there, and it um, probably was. You know, he contacted somebody on the outside yeah, and said, "Hey, go go do go this. Bury this. Right. And- I don't know why the fuck you'd confess to somebody <laughs> something that you didn't do, though. I don't know what did you. What were you going to get out of that? Maybe they, uh, I don't know. There's no reason. Who knows? I don't know. Maybe they were best friends. I don't think so. I, from all indications, they don't really know each other. So it just, it was really an odd thing to me. His confession lacked like anything substantial. There was multiple inconsistencies and the judge that listened to it said it was so ridiculous. It was improbable. And she refused to allow a retrial for Joseph based on that. It was it was absolutely asinine to even for his lawyers to even suggest yeah. that he deserved a retrial based on off of that. I just I was like, what? And then there's more, you know what I mean? Like it just kept yeah. it, it kept going. It was just a weird thing. So what was the motive in all of this? Why did Joseph Mailing attempt to kill his wife? He wanted out of the marriage. Get a fucking divorce. Right. No, it's the same story that we've heard over and over again. It's the fucking insurance money. Oh, but I I guess just any insurance money because he said he didn't have any. Well, he's a fucking accidental. liar. Oh. He's a liar. Oh. Yeah. He was trying to make it seem like there's no way it could be me because I can tell you why. I work where the policy was come through. Yeah. 
and there's no accidental clause. Fuck you. So he was able to set up a policy through Prudential that amounted to over $700,000. Oh my God. On her in the event that she died accidentally. $700,000 in 1991. Mm. That's almost a million in today's money. Yeah. Yeah. So, and more damning, it took effect literally the day before her poisoning. Oh. It came into effect in midnight. By that evening, she was in a coma. Okay. I'm sorry, but wouldn't you, like, give it a year, you know? Give it a little time. Yeah, no. He was wasting no time. I mean, he had pre-plotted this because he bought this cyanide in January and it was early February. So he gave it a month before he did that. But he was probably waiting for that policy to to become effective. What an absolute prick. Absolutely. So... In the end, he he needed what Stella Nichol needed, a death certificate that indicated foul play and an accidental death. And what his ego wouldn't let him see was that she was caught because she brought attention to her the deaths that she caused. Yeah, It's the only reason that she was caught. She could have been happy to just walk away with that $70,000 from her husband Bruce's death and nobody would have been the wiser. Yeah, Everybody had, had written that it. off. Yeah, she pushed it. She, you know, called the medical examiner. She called his doctor. She, Are you sure? Right. So all to get an extra $100,000. Yeah. Well, he did the same thing. He needed somebody to die and for it to be poison. So he had to have it known that he, you know, he poisoned her. So it, it's really your ego you know, got, got the best of you essentially. If he, yeah, if he had not mentioned that in the ER room and the doctor been like, well, we have done everything else. Let's pump her stomach. He'd have been $700,000 richer. Well, only if they had listed her death as an accident. Otherwise he wouldn't have got probably, I I think it was like 150,000. Or he could have said it was the Sudafed. I mean, wouldn't you do that? Absolutely. Wouldn't be that be, you know, I, I'm not going to tell you what was in the Sudafed, but hey, she took a Sudafed. Could that be it? Like, could the Sudafed have been laced with something? No. Why you got to sit there and say, could have been cyanide? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you don't just find yourself upon cyanide every day, you know? Well, he says that he had just read that article in Reader's Digest, and that's why it was fresh on his mind. So... Yeah, it was fresh on your mind because now you had the play-by-play of yeah. how to do this. That's why it was fresh in your mind. And it, it's just unbelievable, some some people. I mean, ultimately, his ego was his downfall. So that's it. That concludes the copycat murders by poisoning. It's the most strangest series of events over a, a two, like a decade. Yeah. That I've ever fucking heard of. He never. He didn't even learn from it. Like no. she got arrested. Right. She's still there. Is he still there? He's still yeah, life in okay. prison. They he, say where he was. Is he in Dublin too? <laughs> no, he's. Uh, he actually got sent to a federal prison back east. Well, okay. so yeah, he's not anywhere up here. Why yeah. isn't that like poisoning always has to come with insurance money? Like I feel like every single thing that I've ever seen about poisoning is involved with. Suicide, or um, not suicide, with uh, insurance money. Oh, like, yeah, I don't, because of insurance money. Yeah. it's Because you get that, act- that extra 
it just money payout if it's an accident. So, you know, you accidentally ingest something. Yes. I just don't know how cyanide is an accident. Because it's not well, like it's not. It's an intentional available. thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's not like nine to five when what's her face puts rat poison <laughs> the rat in, the poisoning. in the coffee. <laughs> right. You know, Dolly right. Parton isn't going to come save the day. No. Jesus. Yeah. It's it's something. That's for sure. Um, But, you know, there again, people have tried it and gotten away with it. And this is why we have these laws today. These laws are in place of product tampering and it's a federal crime now because some fucking idiot thought it was going to be okay to kill their spouse and try to get some insurance money. And I don't know. I get, I, I feel like he should have learned from Stella Nichol. Oh, absolutely. But, but he also, I mean, if you think back to the 82 murders, nobody's been charged. Yeah, but Reader's Digest <laughs> yeah. told you <laughs> told how you. she was caught. Like, what a dumbass i mean if you can't believe what reader's digest says who can you believe anymore right (laughs) i yeah all right so we have our winner for the 50 dollar amazon gift card to to announce who who is it drum roll okay um let's see (laughs) can you hear that i'm clapping (laughs) okay um hold on i'm trying to get these little papers Okay, so someone by the name of Jor23 Sunshine is our winner. Yay! Congrats! Yay! Congrats! Thank you for supporting our crazy idea <laughs> to uh, to have this true crime podcast and for listening. And we will be in contact over Instagram and figure out where to send that gift card to you. Yeah, just, or if you're listening, please just DM us and we'll uh, we'll get in touch with you. And also thank you for giving me an opportunity to be Vanna White. I've always yes. wanted to do that. I, I feel like I should have we should have like downloaded a Vanna White, like the the noise when the when the letters when she touches the letters and it's like that little ding. I just wish I could ding. have my own yarn my own yarn line and that's just, what you want out of all this? I like thought it fabulous. was like the Wheel of Fortune it, thing. Yes, so. yes, that's included. It's okay. included. She's famous <laughs> enough to have her own yarn, Jessica. Yeah, no, she is. I, yes. Mom uses it all the time. I use it all the time, too. <laughs> I, I <laughs> okay, I didn't realize that you were more excited about the possibility of a, a line of yarn. Absolutely. Then, then picking that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. I mean, if that's what does it for you, it's it's cool. It's fine. That's Her yarn kid. is great yarn. It's good. Goodbye. It's, it's it works. I'm, I want my face on yarn. Okay. What can I say? All right. Alpaca yarn. Alpaca yarn. <laughs> I don't want none of that cheap shit. No. Hell no. Hell no. <laughs> All right. As always, we greatly appreciate everyone listening and supporting us. You can catch us on all the listening platforms, our website, of course, whathappensinthewoods.com, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And uh, we'll be at the Discord at 8 p.m. Until next time, please be kind to one another and stay out of the goddamn woods. Stay out of the woods. Bye. Bye. Toodaloo, buckaroo. (laughs) 